It was a quick clip tonight. If you weren't looking, you might have missed it. Uh, if, you didn't, if you didn't catch it there, if you did miss it, uh, there was a boy in the class who uh, was sleeping. And uh, the way that he was woken up was to everybody else clapping and feeling like, oh, no, I'm, I'm awake too. I, I'm ready to go. Uh, I am, I am uh, thrilled to be awake and ready to go and here with you tonight. My name is Danny Householder. I'm the campus pastor here at Hope Ames, which means I also get to be a part of Kairos, and that is just such a huge joy in my life. So whether you are here in this room or you are one of our friends in Iowa City, yes, our friends, let's make sure that we say our friends this week <laughs> in Iowa City, uh, and uh, if, you, uh, if you're on the main floor here, would you go ahead and turn around, look at that camera and say, what's up, Iowa City? Everybody, one, two, three. What's up? We're so glad that you're here. I debated. I was like, I was like, could I, could I wear an Iowa State shirt tonight? Would I offend our friends in Iowa City? And I realized that here at Kairos, we don't have to hide our whole selves in order to love one another. And so friends in Iowa City, I will not hide my whole self, and you do not have to hide your whole self. And I tell you what, for a week that I think is kind of sadly named Hate Week, uh, this, would be, this would be a boring week if we didn't have each other. Am I right? So, I mean, let's give God praise for each other. If you're in Iowa City, if you're in Ames, let's give God praise and have the other city in mind. Okay. Reluctantly, we're all clapping. Yay! Oh, man. I am really glad that you're here. I'm glad that we can be united in the love of Christ. Hey, we are on a, uh, we're, we're cruising through this first series of the year. It's called Best Year Ever. And uh, we're not saying that this is the perfect year ever, but instead we believe that this really can be the best year ever in Christ among your friends and peers. We believe that for you. And tonight we are talking about something that we always talk about, but never seem to do anything about, and it's rest. Rest would be nice. Rest would be uh, relieving. But sometimes we don't feel like we can do it. It's interesting, when people say, how are you, there's a common response. Maybe your gut reaction is something in mind that you want to say really quick. How are you? And you say, something. Up until about 15 years ago, the most common response to how are you was fine. Whether it was true or not, that was the most common response. And then about 15 years ago, there was a shift. And now the most common response to how are you is busy. I find that interesting. The other popular responses among college students other than busy are tired, exhausted, overwhelmed, and my personal favorite, dead. I thought that was hilarious when I read in the article this week. How are you? I'm dead. This isn't life. There's no way this is living. I'm just dead. Oh, man, but what if we could find some rest, and what if we could find some renewal? What happened? What happened in the last 15 years? Why is it that we have such a broken relationship with time? You know, it would be easy to say that maybe it is that we have less time, but the truth is that statistics don't point to that. If you take a look at the way that college students spend their days, this is from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. A day in the life of a typical college student looks like this. Sleep for 8.8 .8 hours. Some of, you are, some of you are just like, how? Like, how? But nonetheless, a day in the life of the average college student, and some of you are like, okay, who's sleeping 14 hours? Because I am not at 8. But nonetheless, sleep for about 8.8 .8 hours, leisure time every day about four hours, and eating about one hour, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. The interesting thing about this is that's been consistent over the last many decades. It's not something that changed in the last 15 years, but instead it's remained consistent. So it's not necessarily that we are busier, but we definitely feel busier. And what is that? I'm not saying that your feelings aren't real. Your feelings are very real. In fact, something else that I thought was interesting about statistics that I read this week is that 70% of college students feel like they have enough time in every single day to get what they need to get done, done. 
And yet 63% of college students say, my, uh, the busyness in my life is keeping me from enjoying my life. Like, those numbers don't add up. What is it? We don't have less time, but we definitely feel busier. We've got all the gadgets and technology to save time, like a car, the internet. When I was in college, I used to get anxious thinking about, what if I was in college like 40 years ago when they didn't have the internet, and I just had to you know, look up in a book, and when Google can give me six billion answers in 0.3 seconds. What if I had to do that? I think about how long would my day be if I didn't have running water? What did people do before showers? Like walk to a bathhouse, it's disgusting, and it took a lot of time. What is it? Why have things changed? Why aren't we saying fine anymore? Well, the truth is, I don't think that it means, like I said, I, I do not think that it means that college students are, aren't as tough these days. If anything, I would think that college students are just more honest these days about, their, about how they're feeling. Just because feelings are these intangible sensations that we have does not mean that they're not real. They are real. Feelings are real. And people are saying, I feel busier than ever. I feel overwhelmed. I feel tired. I don't feel like I'm living. What is it? What happened? Maybe it is that our relationship to time is broken. At the beginning of time, God put rest into a rhythm. He said that if creation is going to work properly, there must be rest in the rhythm of creation. God had finished his work of creation, and God rested from all of his work. This is in Genesis chapter 2. There's something interesting about that word rested there, and it might throw you off a little bit. The word for rested in the biblical Hebrew is Shabbat. Everybody say Shabbat. Shabbat, it looks like this. You might recognize that word because it sounds a lot like an English word called Sabbath, which means a day of rest. And it literally means to rest or cease. Whoa. At the beginning of the Bible, God is saying, I'm just going to cease. I'm just going to do nothing. Now, God is a God, right? Like, God doesn't need anything. But God saw that rest was good. And maybe how foolish we are sometimes to think that we don't need to rest. How often do you hear somebody say the phrase, come on, seize the day. Get everything out of it that you can. I think it's true, but maybe sometimes seizing the day means just ceasing for a day. What would that look like for you? Do you ever feel this tension? Do you ever feel like you can't sit still? Psalm chapter 46 urges us, please be still and know that I'm God. The Bible encourages this. You can be still. You can rest and know that God is God. Why is it that we have a hard time resting? Why is it that we have a hard time putting down all the things that we're juggling? Maybe it's because we don't trust that God's going to be God. When was the last time that you just sat and did absolutely nothing? When was the last time that you just ceased? It was this summer when I was waiting for a friend when I was sitting in a restaurant. And uh, I was there a couple of minutes early. And um, so I reached in my pocket just, I mean, just out of habit. And I reached for my, what do you think I reached for, right? I'm sitting there waiting. What do you think I reached for? My phone. And I realized, oh no, I left it in my car. And I just felt this anxiousness rising inside of me. My neck got tight. Like, oh, what if I'm getting a text? What if I'm getting a call? What if my wife needs me? What if my job needs me? I started to debate. Could I run out to the car? Do I have time to get it? At the very least, I could be checking something that's happening in the world. What do I do? Once I finally embraced the fact that I had no choice but to rest for a moment, I could actually physically feel my neck relax. And this tension leave my body. Well, by the time that my friend walked in, I'm feeling so good. I'm like, welcome! Have a seat. Let's relax. 
I was afraid to be bored for a moment. I was afraid to have nothing to do. I was afraid that if I wasn't attached to the world in the way that I need to be attached to the world at all times, maybe my life would fall apart. Maybe I'd miss that notification, that call, that alert, that update. But what if instead I could just be still and know that God is God? Be still and know that God is God. You can go back a slide. I want to spend some more time on that verse. Why is it that we're so afraid to do nothing? I wonder if it's because we're afraid of being bored. It's interesting that Harvard University, they came out with a study as well that said college students are more afraid of being bored than being busy. So we just fill our time with more and more things. We have this hard time being still because we think that if I don't move, if I don't work, if I don't do something, my life is going to fall apart. But what if instead we could just be still and know that God is God? Anybody else here ever feel like they're just spread way too thin? When I was in college as well, I had a coach, and uh, he had this drill for us. And it was called the tennis ball drill. And the tennis ball drill had this really simple premise to it. You just had to stop, you just had to make sure the tennis ball never stopped bouncing, which sounds pretty easy, right? Except there was more than one tennis ball. And sure enough, if you're seeing in one place, okay, easy, you can keep the tennis ball bouncing. But it became really hard when he said, okay, the tennis ball is going to be on one side of the basketball court, and on the other side, the width way of the basketball court, there's going to be the other, ba- the other tennis ball. And your goal is to keep both tennis balls bouncing. So you start over here, and you're like, okay, this isn't that hard. But then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, oh, oh I got started to bounce really quick. And then you're like, oh, no, 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 that's going down the stairs. That didn't bounce. Don't count me out. And then you start running really, really fast. And then you're working. And suddenly, it becomes so hard to keep these things in the right place. You're exhausted. You're spent. You can't keep up. You fall down, and you're like, ah! It was so easy when it was just right here. But we lose our boundaries. We're spread too thin. It's like we're trying to run across a court and keeping things bouncing, moving. And God's saying, he's urging us, just be still. And I know that can be so hard, because another reason why we have a hard time being still is because not only do, feel, do we feel like we can't sit still, we feel like we, we need to have something to do. Like there's a need for busyness in our life. It's like sometimes we equate busyness with importance. Imagine if you got that job out of college that you've always dreamed of. Like you really, really wanted it. Then your boss comes up to your desk and says, hey, are you busy? What are you supposed to say? No, I haven't a thing to do. I don't know why you pay me. No, you'd say, well, I'm busy. I have things to do. I'm important. I'm in demand. We start to equate our busyness with our importance. We start to believe that if I'm busy, I'm helpful. And I don't want to be helpless. Let's take a look at what this word for be still is. Everybody say rafa. It means to be still and also means to become helpless. Ooh, that feels pretty uncomfortable, doesn't it? Yet again, let's look at this verse. The Bible instructs us, be still, next slide, be still and know that I'm God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. God being God does not depend on you being busy. God being able to keep creation in order does not depend on you finding more to do. God being God depends on God being God alone. You could do absolutely nothing And God would still be God. How incredible is that? And how much are we missing out if we don't embrace it? We think that if we're busy, we'd be secure. 
If I just do enough, then someday I'll be secure. If I could balance more things, then I'd just be secure. But the truth is that busyness never leads to security. Imagine, you do work all the way through college, like you work really hard, you get the grades, you fill out your resume, you have a perfect application, and you've worked so hard, you've gotten so busy, so then somebody hires you, they give you more responsibility, and now you're busier. And then someday, you're going to work really, really hard, maybe you'll have a family, so you're going to get really, really busy to create more opportunities for your kids to have more opportunities, so they can have more responsibilities, and someday they could be busy. Busyness never leads to security. There has to be something more than this. In the Bible, you heard this in the reading for tonight, it gives us this incredible case study of the difference between fearful busyness and security. Take a look at this. This is in the book of Matthew, or excuse me, the book of Luke, chapter 10. You heard it. It said, Martha welcomed him being Jesus into her home. Jesus had these really close friends. There was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and they were all siblings. We have a pretty good understanding of who Mary and Martha were. We have an understanding a little bit of who Lazarus was. He's going to have a really huge miracle done to him and for him in the book of John. But we don't really get his personality. But Mary and Martha, just from this passage alone, four little verses, we get so much of their personalities. It says that this was Martha's home. Martha was kind of the provider for the family. She's the one who made the money. She's the one who took care of the money. She's the one who had it together. She kept busy so the family could thrive. And Mary wel- Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. Continuing in the passage, how does Martha behave when Jesus was there? She had her life together, but she's also busy. It said Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Now, how would you feel? You're working so hard. You've got all these different tennis balls you're trying to keep, ba- you're trying to keep bouncing. You're juggling so many different things. And then there's the person in the group project who won't put the work in. They're just the creative in the group, whatever that means. You ever have a group project where people get together and like, okay, your role is going to be writing the paper. Your role is going to be the research. Your role is going to be, I don't know. They say, I'm just a creative. I'll think. What? How would you feel if you're Martha in this situation? She looks over and she sees her sister doing nothing. She's upset. How would you feel? Martha's missing something. Don't get me wrong. Martha's doing a good thing. Martha is serving Jesus. But can I say something that might blow your mind a little bit? Serving Jesus is not the most important thing in your life. Serving Jesus is a byproduct. I mean, it's a necessary, a natural byproduct of knowing Jesus. But we're not going to know how to serve Jesus until we just know Jesus by sitting at Jesus' feet. The most important thing, what really matters, is Jesus. And everything else comes after that. See, Martha, she had this boss, and her boss was serving. Her boss was work. Her boss was busyness. Every single one of us deals with this in one way or another. And if I push that a little bit, I will say, every single one of us has a God that we're answering to. There was this graduation speech from David Foster Wallace, and it was shocking. David Foster Wallace was one of the greatest writers of the 20th century. He was listed as one of the top 100 greatest writers of the 20th century by Time Magazine. And he said this, and it shocked a lot of people, and it offended even more people when he said this at a graduation ceremony about what it looks like when you chase things that can't love you back. When you make something your God that's that's not made or designed to be your God. He starts off by saying, here's something weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. Everybody worships. 
The only choice we get is what we worship. And here's a compelling thing for choosing a spiritual God. Anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if that's where you tap into for real meaning in life, you'll never have enough. You worship your body, and you'll always feel ugly. When time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Same goes for power and status. Worship them, and you'll always look over your shoulder, anxious to, to defend yourself from anyone who might dethrone you. Same goes for intellect. You'll always feel like a fraud on the verge of being found out. Same goes for romance. You'd do anything. Change the core of who you are for attention. That is, if it becomes the thing you worship. We live in a world that says, give me more. We live in a world that defines relationships by economics. You get out of it what you put into it. You will get something if you give something. I don't think that that's changed in 2,000 years, and I wonder if Martha had the same feeling. Well, I mean, if I'm going to get anything out of Jesus, I'm just going to have to give. I'm going to have to serve. I'm going to have to work. You get in what you put out. I think it's the reason why oftentimes people, and especially Christians, will fall into the statement, God helps those who help themselves. Have you ever heard that statement before? God helps those who help themselves. Maybe you've said it before. God helps those who help themselves. Maybe you think that it's in the Bible. And if you do think that, you're not alone. Barna Research Group found that 80% of Christians believe that God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. But it's not. And it's a really good thing that it's not in the Bible. It's well-intended. You know, I mean, hey, don't pray for something that you're not going to work for, right? Prayer leads to action. And yes, it does. In the book of James chapter 2, it tells us that, that uh, faith without works is dead. Faith without action is nothing. Prayer leads to action. Sitting at Jesus' feet compels us to do something. But again, what's the thing that really matters? Is it serving Jesus or just Jesus? Jesus is what really matters, and everything else follows after that. We believe oftentimes God helps those who help themselves. It's well intended, but it leads us to deep and dark places. In fact, sometimes I think that when we're trying so hard to help before we sit at the feet of Jesus, we're actually hurting. Ever had a situation where you tried to help so much, but you didn't take the time to listen that you were actually hurting the situation? When I was in seminary, I had this close relationship with one of my professors, and we had the same initials, so we kind of bonded over that at first. We're both DH. So say, hey, DH. Sometimes I call him DDH, Dr. DH is really creative. We also bonded over a uh, sandwich shop that we both really liked. And so we'd go out and we'd eat at that sandwich shop. We'd talk theology. We'd talk life. We'd talk calling. It was beautiful. I loved it. It was a great relationship. And oftentimes, he would buy me a sandwich. And on that sandwich, he'd write DH. Those are my initials. He'd be like, hey, there's, it's just so you know, I left a sandwich for you in the fridge. You got it, you know. Yes. So I wanted to serve this guy, right? I wanted to be nice to this guy. And he was an older guy. He also happened to live in the neighborhood next to the neighborhood that I was living in. I was renting a house with some of my classmates. He was an older guy, and I was like, well, I don't, I don't want this guy to have to, like, you know, do you know, some of the chores that normal people have to do throughout the summer. So, so how, how would I mow his lawn for him? You know, I'm going to do something for the guy, and, and, you know, then he'll realize I'm worth it in his life. Like, uh, this relationship in his life is worth it. So I take our lawnmower, this like really old, somewhat dangerous lawnmower, and I put it in the back of our, my roommate's pickup truck. I drive it over there, and I don't tell anything to him about it because, you know, I'm humble like that. I take the lawnmower out. I mow his lawn. I get done with business. I put the lawnmower back, and I drive back to my house. I'm like, oh, 
the Lord is, uh, the Lord is moving through me. <laughs> That's just what I do. I'm a Christian. I serve. I did it another time. And this time I was getting done and I was driving away. And the lawnmower is in the back of the truck. And my professor drives past me. And he waves at me and I wave at him. And I'm like, <laughs> busted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was me, D.H. Double D.H. It was me. That week in the seminary, I get to the, uh, to the community fridge. I open the door, and I see that there is a sandwich in there from our favorite sandwich shop. And on the wrapper, it says DH. And I'm like, you get, in this, you get out of this life what you put in. And the Lord's been good to me. <laughs> I take the sandwich, and I eat it. And, you know, we're not talking about it. It's just kind of this understanding in my mind that we have. And so then I go back. And I'm like, I'll keep on mowing his lawn. So I take the lawnmower, I go to his house, I mow the lawn, I put it back in the truck. As I'm driving away, again, I see my professor. I'm like, this is, oh, God, you just can't help but give me attention for the good that I do. <laughs> the problem is, is that as I'm driving away and my professor is driving toward his house, he pulls into his driveway and he pulls into a house that is not the house on the yard that I've been mowing all summer. <laughs> Whose yard was I mowing? I just imagine this, like, young parent walking outside. Oh, yes, God, thank you. <laughs> Thief? Stolen my time, my summer. I'm like, oh, this is humiliating. But I'm thinking, well, I mean, my professor appreciates me, the sandwich. So I'm thinking, okay, I'll just go to my professor. I'll talk to him about this. He'll think it's hilarious. I walk into his office. He's sitting there. He has a sandwich. It's unwrapped. And on the sandwich wrapper, it says DH. And I realize, oh, my goodness, not only have I not been mowing his lawn, I've stolen his food. I wasn't helping, I was hurting. I didn't take the time just to get to know him a little better. Like, I don't know, where do you live? All summer long, I thought that I was helping, but in fact, I was actually hurting. So the question, like, does God help those who help themselves? Yes, God helps those who help themselves, because God helps absolutely everyone. But when we get so focused on helping myself, becoming busier, balancing more things in my life so that God might bless me, God might finish the work that I've started, we might get distracted in the same way that Martha got from actually knowing God. We might get distracted from the help God wants to give us. We might get distracted from the blessings God wants to give us. Martha, the Bible tells us, was distracted. As the Bible story continues, it says this. Uh, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Come on, tell her to help me. Is it so bad to ask Jesus, just be fair? Come on, finish the work that I've started. And at the surface, it's really just this innocent question, I think, well-intended, and sometimes has funny consequences like mowing the wrong lawn, eating somebody's sandwich. But on a deeper level, there's something that's quite scary about it. If I believe that my life is going well because I've helped myself and God's finishing that work for me, I've stayed busy enough for God to see me as important, what does that mean about how I see the people in the world who are having a hard time? Maybe I want God to be fair, but if I'm really concerned about God being fair, I might miss out on God's grace. This idea, God helps those who help themselves, you get out of the world what you put into it. There's a word for that in other philosophies, and it's called karma. There's another word from God that is freely given without concern about what might be returned, and it's called grace. And Jesus did not come for you to get busier. Jesus did not come to add more things to your plate. 
Jesus did not come to stretch you thin. Jesus came so that you would know him. That you would be still and sit at his feet. Christians could do a lot of good work in the world, but how much more, could, how much more helpful could we be if we sat and listened at the feet of Jesus first? And just admitted, you know what, on my own, maybe I do have a little bit of helplessness in me. Maybe I should just cease. Maybe I should just stop. Maybe I can embrace that rest for a moment. Because I know, God, you didn't come into this world to make me busier. You didn't come in this world to spread me thinner. There are psychologists these days who are talking about one of the biggest issues that we have in the world is 24-7 connected culture. 24-7 connected, 24/7 connected culture, not only is it hard to say, it's a hard way to live, it means that anybody can reach you at any time. Like, you've all got a phone, right? I mean, for the most part, people have a phone. And on your phone, anybody can reach you at any time of the day. Can I just carefully give you some advice here? And I know it's going to sound scary and crazy, but delete as many messaging apps on your phone as you can. Because nobody in the world should have 24-7 access to you at all times. You are not designed for that kind of wait. You are not designed for that kind of work. I mean, what is it? It's not that we actually have more things to do. It's not that we have less leisure time. But we do feel busier. Why is it? It's not because we're, not, it's not because we're necessarily doing more things, but it's because we're always doing something. And Jesus says, be still. He said this to, uh, to Mary, to Martha. Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. You're worried and upset over all these details. Martha. You've been stretched too thin. And the translation that we heard from the Bible reading tonight says, my dear sweet Martha. In the original Greek of the biblical text, it says Martha, Martha. He literally says her name twice. The reason why it's translated my dear sweet Martha is because in that culture, in those days, if you said a name twice, it presented this feeling of deep emotion. You had tremendous emotion and connection and love for the thing or person you were speaking to or about. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, one of the hints that we have about what this means and the emotion that's coming out of Jesus is when you look at any other time in the Bible when Jesus says a name or a place twice, he's crying. Before Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem the week before he's going to die, he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you're missing it. Oh, you're so caught up in the wrong stuff. You're just so busy and you don't know me. And it says he's crying. When Jesus is dying on the cross, he says, my God, my God. He's shrieking. He's screaming. And so when Jesus says, Martha, Martha, do you sense the emotion in his heart? Like, oh, Martha, you're working so hard and you're doing good things, but you're missing the thing. You're missing me. You're so worried and upset over the details. The word in the Greek for worried is to be torn into pieces. Has anybody been spread so thin these days that they feel like a million little pieces that used to make up a whole person? And now you're just having a hard time keeping it together? Jesus reminds Martha, there is something in this world that's going to last forever. He continues, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary's discovered it and will not be taken away from her. All these different things that we work for, all these different tennis balls that we're trying to keep balanced, all these different things that we're, that we're juggling, we work so hard for them because we believe if I get that, if I stay busy enough, if I'm in demand enough, then I'll be set. Then I'll be secure. Then I will feel like I've made it. I've got an older brother who has made it in his career. 
He's a, he's a film and TV producer, and he's won three Emmy Awards, like real Emmy Awards. He's very, very good at what he does. Something shocked me. I was listening to him as he was talking to a group of people, and he shared this with me personally. He gave me permission to tell you all of this. After he won his first Emmy Award, he's like, this is what I always wanted. This is what I want. This is what I wanted to do. And I'm sitting there as a little brother, like, oh, I'm so grateful for you, John. Nice shadow I live under, you know. Yay! <laughs> and I'm thinking, he's got it. He's made it said that after he woke up, after winning that Emmy Award, he woke up and he didn't feel a sense of making it. He felt depression, like actual depression. It didn't fill him up. All of these things that we're working so hard to get, they will not last. Here's what's so ironic. You are going to last longer because Jesus lasts longer. Because Jesus is eternal and God's grace is forever, and God's love gives you access to eternity, you are going to last longer than all of those things that you're working so hard to get because you believe it's going to make your life okay. You're going to last longer than any one of those things. All of those things are finite, but your soul is eternal because Jesus' love, his grace, and his gifts are eternal for you. Why do we get so busy? Why can we not stop? Because we don't know how to be still. We're afraid the world's going to fall apart if we don't keep working. So tonight, I want to invite you to just be still before God. What does that look like? Here are three really simple steps. I try not to be like, oh, one, two, three. That's how you do it. Because sometimes I think faith is more complicated than that. But nonetheless, here are three ways that you can be still before God tonight, and this week, and this school year. Tonight, you could just remember that God is God. If you stop doing anything at all, God would still be God. You can have security in that. You'd be able to cease for a day. Every time people talk about productivity, they say, I just want to get more done. You know what's fascinating? People who get more done are people who rest. There's a bunch of companies that got together and they used an app called Deskmate and they tracked their employees' work habits. And they found that no employee who's in the top percentage, top 10 percentage of, of most productive employees at their companies, the top 10 most productive employees at their companies never worked on anything for more than an hour. On average, they would spend 52 minutes on a task and take about 17 minutes off. And then their top 10% most productive employees had a day where they didn't touch their work. It doesn't mean like, oh, okay, I'm kind of removed, but I'll check an email. No, it's to actually cease for a day. It's not just like a preacher telling you this tonight, like this is statistical, but more importantly, this is the creator of your soul who says, I know what you need. And you need to cease for a day. And you need to rest. And you need to listen. It's okay to cease. It's okay to admit that you are helpless at times. I know that you want to be helpful. Oh, man, I remember as a kid so badly wanting to be helpful. You need a tool? I'll run to the garage and get it. Here you go. You want to be helpful. But the Bible says it's okay to be helpless. In Romans chapter 5, the author Paul writes this, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Jesus did not wait for you to become helpful to help you. Jesus did not wait for you to get busy to work in your life. 
It is when we were utterly helpless. Jesus shows up. So you can rest. You could stop doing anything at all. I don't think you should. I think God's called you to do things. But you could rest and do nothing at all. God would still be God. Jesus wouldn't be too busy for you. And you'd have the thing that lasts forever. You'd have the thing that doesn't just give you the best year ever, but actually gives you your best life you could possibly imagine. One that could never be torn into pieces, one that could never be spread far apart across a court and you're trying to keep it bouncing and moving, but one that's given to you and one that could never be taken away. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. I want to invite you to stand and sing, but before we do, I want to invite you into a time of prayer as well. So go ahead, stand on up. And like we did last week, I want to try this again. Um, go ahead and put your hands in the position of a surrender uh, to cease, right? Like, whatever it is in my hands, like, maybe metaphorically right now, like, I'm just dropping them. What are those things that you have to do tonight? I mean, maybe you have to get those done. Maybe you have an assignment that's due at midnight. And go ahead and do it. But whether you get it done, or whether you get an A, or a grade you didn't really want, doesn't change the fact that God's still God. Stop trying to keep the world together on your own and let God be God. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for being God. Thank you for not depending on me for your power. Thank you for allowing me to be okay with being helpless sometimes. Thank you for allowing me to rest at your feet. Thank you for giving me words as I listen to compel me to do things, to move, to, to, to do your work in the world. But Lord, I don't do those things until I know you. So Lord, I pray a blessing over these students that as they would move through the rest of this week, they would drop their feelings of anxiety. They would drop their feelings of depression. You would take those away from them. You would put your blanket of peace and protection over them, Lord. That they would be given the resources and the space that they need to have rest, to cease, to stop, and to listen to you. And Lord, let them see how that creates not just a best year, but truly a best life that you've dreamed up for them. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us first. And because you do, we pray these things confidently in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing.